Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige podcast. This was commissioned by Dave from California. Uh, we went through some back and forth because, um, you know, he, he obviously wanted to pick a good one. And uh, we settled on the 2011 sports dramedy Win Win, which stars Paul Giamatti. I mean, there you go. His Bald Move connection right there. Um, it also is written and directed by Tom McCarthy which you might recognize from a very old commission that we did a while back, uh, The Station Agent, that starred Peter Dinklage. Um, it also stars Alex Schaefer, um, Amy Ryan, Bobby Cannavale, Jeffrey Tambor, Burt Young, Polly from uh, uh, the Rocky series, Melanie Lins- Linsky, and Margot Martindale, famed character actor Margot Martindale. Uh, parachutes into this movie for uh, a, a bit roll towards the, the third act. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of an elaborate Bojack Horseman joke. But anyway, uh, this is the second. This, this, so this is the, the second film I've seen from Tom McCarthy. The second one that also stars Bobby Cannavale. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of this movie, Jim? This movie is the kind of movie that I only watch because the cast is so good. Um. Like, I mean, Paul Giamatti, I'm in on almost anything, especially this era of Paul Giamatti that like mm-hmm. early to, to, you know, mid 2000s as compared to where we are today in the 2000s. Um, th- this was made in 2011. And so like this is right in the wheelhouse for me and Bobby Cannavale being in it. I think I had seen the station agent at that point. Maybe I can't remember when we did our our commission on that, but it was a long time ago. Um. Amy Ryan is great. I liked her in the office. I liked her in uh, several things, but that's like the only reason I watch something like this. Cause this is one of those on the surface this is one of those like wholesome family feel good life affirming comedies. Right. Um, it, I, I don't usually go in for those kind of things. I have to be in a certain mood. And I realized somewhere halfway through this movie that I had seen this before and I must've background watched it. Because I didn't remember mm-hmm. everything, but I definitely remember like very specific moments of this movie. And I don't think it was from watching the trailer. Um, so I, I came away from this movie really liking it. It was it was the, the cast is amazing. The performances are great. And it is a little bit more subversive, I guess, than I first gave it credit for. Like there are there are some dark things happening around the edges. Uh, of this movie and you know the central character the the kid Kyle uh, he's got a rough life and I think like you know Paul Giamatti makes a mistake in this movie that he has to pay for um, literally and I don't don't know I I came away from this thinking well that wasn't nearly as cheesy as I was expecting given you know the tone of these types of movies yeah yeah I think that Tom McCarthy has a lot to do with that because at this point, you know, he had put together like this series of kind of like these comedy offbeat quirky dramas around a particular singular character, like, you know, station agent, Mm -hmm. you got this man who's a dwarf uh, who's very into model trains and he just wants to be left alone and uh, finds himself a situation where he gets to inhabit an old train station um, where he thinks he's going to have this perfect opportunity to indulge in his hobbies and be away from anyone. And it just so happens his fucking neighbors ruin his plan. Uh, yeah. He's got this gregarious Bobby kind of volley that won't leave the guy fucking alone. Hot dog. He's vendor. Got, <laughs> yeah. 
Patricia Clarkson uh-huh. before I before she indelibly made me hate her forever in Sharp Objects. Sure. <laughs> when I could still see her as a as a, as a, as a fairly friendly face in cinema uh-huh. um you know like that she gets embroiled in all these people's lives um and there's i don't know there's something kind of warm and wholesome at the corner even when people are being antisocial. this movie you mentioned him making a mistake I, my jaw was on the floor when i saw that like the movie hits you up right away with paul giamatti doing his deeply more uh compromised moral choice and i'm like is yeah. he just going to get away with it? Is the movie going to be? And I'm kind of like, well, maybe because like karmically, it seems like he's paying this debt. Uh, but then, of course, yeah, the movie's not going to let him get away with that. Um, yeah. And you say, of course, and it's like, that's the formula here. Right. And then when I look at this movie, I see the formula. But I think the pieces of it are so good individually that the formula doesn't it doesn't ruin it for me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because yeah, that's the thing. It's like the. I don't know, because yeah, he does. He 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 makes this decision, but it's kind of like you can make an argument for it. And he's also surrounded by people who. There's this great line where he's talking about the Bobby Cannavale. You know, he's their old Scott school friends and ex wrestling buddies, and I think they're all lawyers. I think. and I think Bobby Cannavale. He's got a lot of money. I saw yeah. where his his wife, his ex wife, current wife, the and I see the house they're living in. This guy's got a lot of money. Yeah. In, in New Jersey, he's either in sanitation or he's a lawyer of some sort. <laughs> and they're comparing the you know, there's something about their other classmate, and he's like, oh yeah, this guy's starting a new fund up, and he's like, this guy's printing money, and he's like, you know, then he's going on his rant about you know he's busting his butt for the the old people, and he's barely making by, and this guy just seems like all he cares about is money, and he's like, and Bobby kind of always like. Well, yeah, that's that's why he makes so much of it. Right. <laughs> he's not any kind of judgment. We're just kind of like, uh-huh. well, yeah, of course, that's all he cares about. And that's why he's got a ton of money. You know, you care about other things and you've got things like kids that love you and a wife that admires you. And, yeah. you know, I it's there's just a lot of really neat scenes like that. And then I was really impressed with this Alex Schaefer kid um, who I suspected when I watched the movie because I went in this pretty blind. I'd seen the trailer. Um, cause that's how we kind of decided on this project as, as the, the movie for Dave. Um, but I remember thinking as like, this kid got hired, um, because he's a very good wrestler. Um, and when I started reading the behind the scenes, indeed, that's the case. This kid was a, was a no shit, like contender for state. And in a sophomore year broke his L5 vertebra. And had to Oof. retire permanently. That's one of those. I think it's the same thing that like happened to Peyton Manning's older brother. It's like one of those things. It's like you just don't want to risk fucking around. And because you if that breaks in a certain way again, you're paralyzed. And then what are yeah. you going to do? Um, but he can. The kid obviously has got skills on the mat and it's easier. And the other thing is this. This role is almost suited for a kid like this. Yeah. That like you have a little bit of charisma, which you probably do if you're all state at anything in high school. Um, and can you play kind of like, and, and it requires him to play kind of disconnected, um, keep your arms linked, monotone answers. And I, I, there's very hard to find information about this movie, but it also wouldn't surprise me if like they filmed it more or less in kind of sequence order to kind of get him settled in because by the end of the movie, he obviously has to do some heavy dramatic swinging. And I thought, you know, again, I don't expect much from a 16, 17 year old, but he delivered, uh, 
so yeah it's it's I, I thought that was a really great before i also i what how do you feel about wrestling in general like i, I you know? i've never enjoyed anything about wrestling whether it be like okay. high school college professional fake on television i the MMA, never the, gra- the, gra- the, gra- the ground game. I thought, okay, you, that's, that's where like my entire experience with wrestling comes into play. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I, I haven't watched a lot of like Greco Roman wrestling, but like every time I see it, it does seem like magical, like the way they can use it's, you know, this, these, these crazy holds and leverage and like you just hook a person's arm or leg in a certain way and essentially fall down and you just slam them onto the mat. There's nothing they can do about it. Yeah, Um, I thought, but I don't know much about it. And I thought this movie does a really good job of letting you know enough about the sport to kind of like follow. And that's the thing. The sport's like 10, 15 percent of the movie. Sure. But you do need to be able to follow along like what it means when this kid's going to the mat and what it means when he's doing this. And um, I thought that stuff was was a pretty nice framework for the movie, too. Yeah, I mean, I've seen movies that do a little bit more um, with the wrestling. Uh, this movie is much more concerned about the kid's life. Um, more so outside of wrestling than in it. Um, the, the wrestling is just like one of the, one of the influences on his life. And, and I appreciated that. And like, I didn't come away from this movie knowing anything about wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, you, you can never tell, like they'll shout out, I think occasionally like, Oh, Red gets two points or whatever. And I don't know why the fuck they awarded points. I don't know like, oh, they, they stop fighting, I guess, when they go out of bounds. But the, the movie never tells you any of that. It's just mm, like yeah. happening on screen and you get to watch it. Yeah. And they, they, they explain it like, you know, when someone's committing a personal foul, like it seems like, oh, yeah, you can't do that. Right. I know what a flagrant foul <laughs> um, in basketball is. And if, if you slam right. a kid's head against a table, it's probably a foul. Yeah. 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 Outside this the isn't the that, WWE. No, no. Good God, that's Alex Schaefer's music. He's coming in with a steel chair. Watch out. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, there's like there's there's really good performances up and down. Like uh, Burt Young is nice to see him doing something because um, mm-hmm. he. I, is he dead now? Because in the last like Balboa so. movie, he was dead. And but I wasn't sure if that's because he just like held out for too much money or because he died in real life or this has to be. If, is, probably one of his last roles um yeah it's a pretty late very young role um holy shit imdb still says it still doesn't have a date for his death so he might still be alive so they just wrote him out of rocky they wrote him out of rocky series because the old man wanted too much money holy shit well because he go ahead i'm sorry (laughs) i was gonna say it's a good thing he didn't want very or it's a good thing he didn't watch much money on this movie because they didn't have much money to go around it's five million dollar budget budget. you got paul giamatti you got bobby cannavale you got amy ryan you got all these people who are Mm -hmm. pretty big stars in their own right especially giamatti right and and they're paying these people less than five million combined and still making a movie on that budget that's wild yeah, but you don't have any special effects. You don't. You essentially True. have like what three locations in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a good film. I, I'll let's get to Dave's comments on it, and then uh, we will. I'll, I'll give you a little synopsis of the movie to kind of entice you into seeing it if you haven't seen it before, and then we'll we'll talk spoilers. Uh, Dave from Cali says, "Let's start off 2021 with a positive on a positive note and go with win win. Hopefully, it's a new discovery for many of your listeners. I imagine. I imagine so." 
I hadn't watched it in several years. I'm trying to uh, and trying to make a final decision. I rewatched it last night. Amy Ryan clinched it. I really enjoyed her performance. She can do so much with facial expressions. And of course, Paul Giamatti remains the king of the full body sigh. Um, <laughs> I also just realized Ryan has a small part in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I, I've never seen that movie. Hmm. Uh, he says, I'm really impressed with screenwriter Tom McCarthy's talent. One great film is impressive, but multiple films across genres is so special. I'd love to hear you guys talk about him and share your thoughts on his other films, hits and misses thoughts on what makes his best film. So good. Actually, let's table the rest of this. I'm going to bolt it. So we don't forget, um, for the end of the film, uh, discussion, because okay. it's like a lot of like, um, you know, detailed commentary that we'll have to give that probably doesn't fit outside of the synopsis and all that. Uh, so win-win, what is it about? It's a 2011 film where Paul Giamatti plays a kind of not really down on his luck, but just kind of struggling to keep his head above water lawyer in New Jersey who specials specializes in elder care, which you can imagine does not have a lot of money attached to it. Uh, one of the cases that passes desk is a wealthy man. They don't explain how or why he came into money, but he's got a lot of a lot of it. But he's also afflicted with Alzheimer's. Shout out to CureAls.org. And the state is going to get involved and decide what needs to be done with him. And Paul Giamatti uh, feeling the pressure and seeing that this state is willing to pay $1,500 for a legal guardian for this man volunteers to be his guardian, uh, saying he's uniquely qualified to do so and keep him in his home. The problem is he's going to put him in an, a very nice nursing home, but still a nursing home and essentially check out and just cash the checks. Then the next day, as if by fate, his his grandson shows up on his grandfather's uh, doorstep and wants to live with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, turns out that kid's got a lot of wrestling talent. Also turns out that Paul Giamatti is a wrestler, he, he wrestling coach uh, at the local high school. The moonlights for. And uh, a lot of things ensue. Um, you know, obviously a kid showing up unannounced on his grandfather's doorstep might have some tr- troubles. Um, might might be something that Paul Giamatti and Amy Ryan can can help him sort out. Um, but also Paul's not really telling the truth about a lot of these things that he's embroiled in, and that might blow up in his face later on in the movie. That's the movie. That's the movie. Um, it's really good. You guys should check it out. Uh, let's talk about like the details of this movie. One of the things that makes it work is the classic engine of you got a middle aged guy who has worked hard his whole life, has a family that loves him, but he hasn't got his dues because he doesn't care just about the money. It's very, this is Walter White, right? Sure. Um, So he decides, he sees all of his friends that are doing, you know, shady stuff and concentrating on the bottom line and not giving a shit about helping out anybody getting ahead. So he decides to break bad. Um, But they, they do a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the early, like this movie is very funny. Mm-hmm. But a lot in the early is just him kind of do, doing this like middle aged guy stuff where he's trying to eat right. He's trying to get, you know, uh, exercise. You later find out because he's having panic attacks because he's constantly out of money. And, you know, there's all these scenes that sh- the, the this is one after another show this. He's jogging with Bobby Cannavale. He has a panic attack and Bobby Cannavale <laughs> tries to do full body CPR on him, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but it was funny. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor shows up as his accountant that he shares an office with and they're doing battle with the uh, furnace. The, you know, it's, it's very like Christmas story. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor is always down there pounding on this thing, trying to get it another day of life. Yeah. Um, And he has this 
were the, 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 like I said, this was something that was kind of shocking to me because I I thought that they were going to have Paul Giamatti just take care of this guy and the grandson is going to come with it. But the movie actually has a little where pretty dastardly he lies in court and says, because this man wants to stay in his home. He's got the means to do so. Um, so he tells the judge, hey, I'm basically living in this town. I'll take stewardship over him. I'll make sure he stays in his house. And as soon as the judge agrees to it, he puts him in the home and does all the things the state was going to do to him. Uh, yeah. Lies to the client. And it's one of those things where a lot of the movie you're waiting for the other shoe to drop because you'll get 15, 20 minutes in the movie and Paul Giamatti's a good guy. And you're like, you almost forget, but some character will bring up, boy, it seems like this old man wants to live in his house. He's always talking about it. And he's talking about how to judge is forcing. That's a really shitty situation. Apology. My is like, yeah, it's oof, I'm his guardian. It's, it's a tough one. And you just, it, there's a lot of that tension that's effectively built. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and they, they do a lot of stuff around uh, putting that guy in a home that it confused me because I was like, the, the way they cut away from, you know, him pleading with the judge to allow the guy to come, live in his home so he can get the commission check of 1500 bucks every month they just kind of cut away from that and then he's driving him down the street or packing up his boxes and driving him down the street and I'm like oh so the judge said no the judge didn't let him and then he gets him to the home and he's like he says something else that makes it clear that no in fact the judge said yes like oh he, they're riding in the car and he said that, well the judge said you have to go to this home and I'm like okay well that confirms it and then later it's like oh wait no the judge didn't actually say that she granted him uh, you know, stewardship over guardianship over this guy it, to the point where I was like, Oh man, this, this movie is, is confusing me almost to the point where I don't realize how bad a thing he's done until, you know, 10 minutes later when it finally clicks, it's like, Oh shit. No, he just said something that means he's a really bad guy. Uh, and I kind of yeah, like that about it. I did too. And it, it's not like, I, I don't think I was ever, confused it's more like i just like oh there's no way they're gonna have this guy in this type of movie be this like nakedly this is just this is just dastardly yeah you know it's like it's like um because yeah the the judge gave him like okay oh i see how this movie's gonna go um but then he's coming in he's, he's packing the guy up and i'm like wait a second this is fucked up but then he says something like well i just have to get you in this place for until i get some things figured out and i'm like oh well maybe he's gonna like move the guy out, get it cleaned up, fixed up. Cause he talks about shutting the water off. Cause he doesn't want the things to freeze. And I'm like, okay, he's, but there's going to be, it's going to be something like I, there's some things I got to fix to make it good for him to stay there, but he's going to be in a home and there's going to be a financial stress. Like one of his kids will need to go to hospital or something that'll make him to where he's in. I kept on trying to find yeah. excuses for his character, Mike to like not be the shit bag, but it's like, no, he just wants $1,500 a month for free so that he can keep his practice running. And he's, you can tell he's got all these arguments in his head. Like I'm a good guy. I'm going to use this. Like you imagine if my practice fails and what would these 30 elderly clients do without me and, and his family. I mean, he's got a young daughter, uh, two two of them actually. Yeah. Um, so there are reasons that he maybe could justify this to himself, but you know, as an audience member, it's tough to justify this movie also feels really well paced. I like that you compared it to Christmas story with the the pipes and stuff. Cause like, Mm-hmm. This feels like the pacing of a Christmas movie where kind of everything is leading up to the big moment at the end um, where all, all the tracks they've laid finally come to come into the station and we get, okay, here's the point of this thing, right? 
Um, everything, everything leads up to Christmas Eve. Everything leads up to Christmas morning, whatever. Uh, that's where, that's where like the formulaic part of it comes in. This feels like a very, you know, this, then that, then that happens. And here's Mm -hmm. how you build the tension in movies, um, all leading up to the climax, which it it worked for me, even though I saw like all the pieces falling into place and it, it has this heart to it. And that's the thing I love about Tom McCarthy's movies something you see in station agent uh definitely in up which he helped co-write um mm-hmm. he he has a way of like infusing his movies with yeah i mean heart with 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 humanity um and and really making you feel something at the end of it yeah cuz at the end of the day like what he does you know if you lie to some person afflicted to dementia and essentially take their money against their wishes and do what they don't want. I mean, that's pretty despicable. But on the other hand, it is what the state would have done. Mm-hmm. And the movie makes a point that he's probably better off. And then the movie supplies an even bigger villain um, in the form of her, his daughter that uh, tries to come and, and essentially run the same scam. But instead of like put him in some place where he'll be safe and, you know, also taking care of the grandson, she's just going to take the money and, and, and cash the checks and, and, they imply, you yeah. know, uh, and, get herself into more trouble with it because she's we 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 joined this movie with her being in an eight week rehab program and her son has run away because she doesn't pay attention to him. And in yeah. fact, several weeks elapse before she even bothers to call and check in and like what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't make what Paul Giamatti does right. It's just right. it's like a sneaky little way that the movie has of, you know, it's like, okay, well, you might think it's just like, you know, in season one of Tony's uh, in Sopranos, like Tony's a bad guy, but he's probably trying to do all right with his mom in contrast to his sister that shows up and is just clearly, oh, this is bad news. Like, right. so the movie does a little bit of wrestling judo to your own kind of sense of moral be like, okay, this guy's doing something cowardly and depraved and selfish, but, eh, you know, it's Paul Giamatti and it's. I did start. I, I was thinking, though, because this is like a desperation move. Right. And um, I was thinking about like. This guy does this. And I mean, I'm comfortable saying that this is essentially stealing several thousand dollars off of an old person. Right. And yeah. and, and lying in court about it. More or less. Um, and I started I started thinking about like because um, I used to work at this convenience store chain. Right. Like his big chain had like 150 stores in the Midwest. And all the time, managers and assistant managers would steal money out of the safe. And almost all the time it was for some like, well, yeah, but like it's like my car's motor exploded and I got to get it fixed or I can't take my kids to school and I'll just I'll I'll get the money. I've already pay loan. I'm already two checks behind in the pay loan thing. I'll just borrow. I'll just float this. And I'll cover it. And and if I can get this money paid by before the weekend, nobody will ever know. And it's my way out. And it's always like, you know, like. uh, What I'm saying is like these people would often almost always lose their jail or always lose their 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 job. Most of the time would have criminal fines on top of it and sometimes did jail time. But it's essentially this. It's like the the the. You know, if you're not a lawyer there, you have access to like elderly people that you can kind of skim off the till. It's the exact same thing. But like, there's not even a suggestion that he will do any kind of serious jail time. It's just 
or any kind of he's not going to lose his law, law license. He's not going to do well, anything. He's just going to get back to good and do the thing that he suggested as a joke in the beginning of the movie, which is bartend to make ends meet. I don't think that's true. I think there is a very real threat of losing his his license to practice law um, some, somewhere in the middle of this. Like they, they have a big fight, right? He, he and his wife, Jackie, yeah. have a big fight because she realizes what he's done, um, finds out about it because the the transcript to the court and mm-hmm. they they argue about like you've you've jeopardized your practice and like all this stuff. So I I think if he goes in there and confesses to what he's done, he could be disbarred. Yeah, I guess you're right. You're you're saying like if he can't essentially get the money back into the safe before the weekend, that he'll be, he'll right. be caught. You know, right. uh, it's it's just like uh, it's just more of this one of the things like the this the stakes are a little bit different and um it's one of those things yeah. where like i haven't thought about that stuff for a long time over 10 years and i feel a lot different about it than i did you know back in you know back when i was like in my early 30s and i'd you know help investigate this stuff i was thinking jesus christ what the fuck yeah why what 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 are they thinking when they're doing this kind of stuff and now i kind of am more in touch to like kind of you know and i, I kind of felt that way because towards the our loss prevention guy that took over in the last years of of this company it's real hard ass he was like real high up in the state police in ohio and he'd always like you know at the end of these things he's like always talking about yeah it's always the same old sob stories about this that and the other and i'm like well they kind of are sob stories jack like yeah, her kid is like real sick and needs medicine. It's like, man, yeah. what is it that keeps causing these people to sob? And why are the stories the same? Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I just I, I felt like that was the one thing I was thinking about that, like, uh, man, uh, it, because the other thing is like there's the Amy character. Not I'm sorry. What's her name? Amy Ryan. Jackie. Jack. Yeah. Jackie. Jack. She goes through kind of an arc, too, where she's like super judgmental about the mother and she's always talking about her being a druggie and she's skeeved out about this child that's living with her. And she kind of like goes through this humanizing thing where she still kind of hates the mom. But then when, you know, her mom, clear, his mom shows up, she's clearly a mess. And yeah, she's trying to run the scam, but it's also the same scam her husband's actually been running. Um, yeah. And you think it was like, man, if she had had a couple breaks her way if things had gone differently. I just thought that stuff was pretty the, the, the way they dealt with that, like without it being preachy or anything like that, just uh-huh. that showing like, look at how this kid could have, well, he actually did flush away, you know, flushed away and by stealing a car, mm-hmm. you know, like the first round of his success kind of got flushed away. This time his mom comes back and discombobulates him. He kind of is acting out because he doesn't want to go back and he throws this match, which is a, like a surefire thing for a college scholarship. Seems like he's got another two years to make good in high school. But like you think back to you, I always apply that to his mom, too, because, you know, you, you hear that she's a real piece of work and she didn't get along with her dad and she's got this that. But I'm like, well, what was her deal in high school are we seeing through uh kyle kind of like the stuff that she went through and i think you're supposed to understand all that stuff is connected because the yeah i thought the movie was going to make the mom out to be a real piece of shit um did you feel like it did like it was really yeah came down on her hard really Uh, pretty hard yeah i I think like there Mm. are reasons for there there are you know maybe excuses that she would give for her behavior and she does at one point in this movie i think she says something about like her dad being or a real piece of work and, and shitty to her when, and how he's changed and you don't see the real him and all that stuff, which, you know, you can feel some sympathy for that, but also 
that doesn't give you the right to pass that on to your kid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the movie made that point. Yeah. But on the other hand, if there's nothing there to interrupt the cycle, then like you can yeah. preach and moralize about it all you want, but it's still going to happen. And I liked having um, her her in this movie because it, it does a lot to explain, you know, why why Kyle is the way he is. Like Kyle is such a, uh, you know, Mike calls him a weird kid at some point, right? And he is a weird kid, but like he's kind of weird in a really cool way. He's just like, yeah. He has to because he's been, you know, abused by his mother's boyfriends and neglected by his mother. He has to just let everything wash off of him, right? He can't he can't get worked up about anything. Um it's just like people tell him something, he's like, Yeah, cool. Uh and and he's got this like very subdued affect. Um, and I don't know if that's just this actor or if that's the the script and he's he's doing a good job here, but like I felt like he came across as remarkably like well adjusted for the background that I know he has, um, mm-hmm. but also like very strongly coping with the the stuff he's had to deal with too. I felt like yeah. that was a, an interesting mix of a character that I haven't seen much before, especially since he's got this immense well of discipline. Um, right. He stops smoking cold turkey when he gets back into wrestling. He runs Starts every getting morning. Up at five right? in the morning and run and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. I have a teenager that doesn't have that kind of. And I, I, and never, I, was wondering, had Good I never had that kind of discipline. I'm no. kind of sort of getting like that way as the older I get to where I can get to get traction on things. But like, yeah, I think it's I, I, I want I wish the movie had done a little bit because like they the way the movie is like, well, he was just that's just a kid, you know, like. But like, there's got to be something that that gave him that kind of foundation. And I was wondering if the movie would ever get into it. And then um, you kind of do. They talk about how he feels in control when he's wrestling, right? Because I just, think that's that, an extension. He's trying to bring wrestling into his actual life by mm-hmm. by, you know, maintaining these routines, by controlling what he eats and his weight and his smoking, all that yeah. stuff. I, I think that's like the element of control trying try, trying to push that into his real life a little more. Yeah. And that's I mean, you're absolutely right. But it goes down to like, well, he had talent. And if he hadn't had talent to like tap into then. And I just wondering, like, is that the case or, you know, because you can I I don't know. The the more I think about it, the more I think about talent is just what, what we call talent is when you start something that everyone sucks at and struggles with until you get good at an early enough age that like by the time you get good at it as like a young man or woman, people just like, oh, you must have just had an aptitude, a talent for that. Right. Right. Where it's like, no, I just I've been drawn since I was two years old and, you know, I kept up at it and it's always interested. And now that I'm really good at it at 16, people think I'm like, you know, this or that or the other. Um, yeah, I wasn't born like, with four extra fingers to help me hold a pencil better. Right. <laughs> Right, right, right. Which I think that's one things that um, it seems like helps out kids a lot is when they have um, access to extracurriculars, when they have access to electives like art and music class, because not everyone has aptitude into doing the things that we want them to be able to do, which is run spreadsheets and code and write laws. And, you know, like there's there's all kinds of and. Seeing movies like this make me realize is how bad um, our system is at helping people, especially if they don't have advantage backgrounds, helping people find that niche and, and, and encouraging something because there's obviously so much pride like 
there's that conversation you're alluding to where Paul Giamatti says, what is it like to be you as to be as good as you are at something? And the mm-hmm. kid's like, oh, it feels pretty good. It feels like you're in control. And this one thing you're in control of kind of like spreads that through your life. I actually believe that. Yeah. Like, I hope that everyone has something that they're proud of about themselves. So that's a foundation that everything else is built on self-love and pride. And if you don't have that thing, and that's what I'm saying, like a lot of people, if you grow up in co- communities where they've slashed your art funding, your school's library does, does isn't open anymore. Uh, you don't have a good breakfast and lunch. Uh, there's no options for sports and clubs and stuff. Like how the fuck are you ever supposed to find that thing that you're, that you find a source of pride that then allows you to build everything else onto. Um, yeah. And this kid, like you saw when he lost it, when he acted out, he got in prison got arrested, got in trouble, got kicked off the team, started smoking, started doing all this other stuff. But as soon as he has that thing back in his life, everything else starts snapping in. He's a great leader. He takes the whole team on his back and like inspires them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, makes the losers feel like they're included, uh, like forges it. Like he does more to coach the team than Paul Giamatti and Jeff Tambor and, and <laughs> especially Bobby kind of Polly does. Yeah, I love I love the scene where there's like this clown car of wrestling kids coming out of Paul Giamatti's basement. It's just like you think, okay, well, there's Kyle and oh, yeah, that's his best friend. And oh, there's that other kid. And oh, I recognize. And then they keep coming, keep coming at the very tail end. The caboose is Bobby Cannavale trying to rekindle his youth. Yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you what's going on with Bobby Cannavale in this movie, because like there are a couple <laughs> times where they almost make him seem like a like a borderline pedo in this like mm, I don't, like yeah. oh, hit, hitting the showers boys oh that sounded weird and like there, there's something that paul giamatti says to him um about man strength uh, yeah man the man strength, strength thing i they do a couple of jokes that are like uh, okay you're you're painting a picture of this guy that i'm not comfortable with but then there's also the element of like well yeah he clearly wants to recapture some youth that he either did have and misses now or never had at all. Yeah, they used to all be wrestling and there's 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 hints that their wrestling team used to be really good, which is why Paul Giamatti's back there and then and and uh you know Bobby kind of he's just a nut and he plays like yeah. it's so funny because the first scene I ever saw him in really was that season of um Boardwalk Empire where he's just a psychopath. Yeah. And then I saw him in a bunch of like affable, goofy roles. And then he, in Mr. Robot, he fused those where he's a goofball <laughs> and a weirdo. But he's also a fucking blood soaked psychopath, too. And you saw him in um, home, home lay, homecoming. What? I think it's homecoming. Yeah. Sam S. Mills. Julie Roberts. Yeah. 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 Uh uh-huh. um, What? What was he in that? I don't because I never uh, finished that whole season. He was less of a goofball, but basically his character in Mr. Robot. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so he's still with, but with a like a menacing air. Yeah. Um, I didn't get. I, I'd see. Yeah, I thought some, he was just like wanting to fit in. Like you know, he's he's wanting. Um, didn't want anything to do with his wrestling team when they're losers. But this one kid shows up, and now suddenly he wants to get back in there. He wants to be an assistant coach. He wants to push Jeffrey Tambor kind of out. He wants to like, get into the law practice, which which I didn't understand that he was an attorney. Uh. I think he's an attorney. That makes more sense I that he would so. go to this. Hearing. He's either that or a stockbroker. Because when they say when they when they said that yeah. he's getting a new fund together, I thought that's like a hedge fund. 
which could be something. Obviously, there's articles of incorporation and agreements and all kinds of stuff that you have to draft. So it could right. be that, but it could be a stockbroker. It's some kind of high class white collar job where you get a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. but he's just that. There's another good one where they just sketch this thing of this this pathetic guy who's reduced to his wife left him for the contractor that he hired to work on the house, and the guy's still in his house fucking his wife wearing, wearing his tool, his tool belt. belt. <laughs> And he's just he's just so I don't know. I think he's just really funny. Um, yeah. And uh, there's, there's, this, there's like, one line he gives 90 percent of the comedy relief is Bobby Cannavale yeah. just kind of mugging and being a goofball. Oh, right. And, you know, laying chest to chest on the ground with Paul Giamatti on top mm-hmm. of him. Uh, there's a line he says that the Paul Giamatti opened the kimono and made him eat the train. I don't know. I know what the first half of that means. The second half, I have no fucking idea what he's talking about. I think you can figure it out, but it's, it's, it's (laughs) yeah. Open the kimono. Well, if that's where he's going the train, that's pretty, I, yeah, I wrote that down too. It's a great turn of phrase. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's weird. That's weird, man. But, uh, I yeah I I think he's the the one that injects a lot of humor because Paul Giamatti's mostly a straight man. Um, he doesn't he he has some good physical performances and like you know having Bobby Cannavale drape his body over him, try to keep him warm <laughs> underground, doing full body CPR. Yeah. Um, there's this like kind of dark comedy scene at the end where Kyle is put. You know, Kyle had put Mike on a little bit of a pedestal. He thought that he was a straight shooter and in contrast to all the other adults who, you know, have either. And you can, man, they do such a great job of showing like what a kid feels like. that has been lied to when he's, you know, yes. Amy, uh, Ryan is, is uh, Amy Ryan, Jackie. Yeah. She's sitting on the couch and she's saying, look, Kyle, we can't help you unless you tell us the truth about what's going on. You can trust us. And you can just see him like processing, like, well, the last mm-hmm. time I said this and I opened up to a school counselor, uh, I was put in foster care for six weeks and that sucked. And like processing all like what is in, but you're a kid and you're, uh, and you these know, people have been I, so I, nice I, to you up until then. And like, yeah, but you can see kind of like that, that trapped animal uh, expression. Yeah. Um, and then it comes they did, back around at the end when Paul Giamatti's uh, subterfuge is is revealed, right? Um, his right. shit with the commission check, and this kid gets pissed off, rightfully so. And Paul Giamatti goes to him, and says, "I want you. To, I just want you to give me another chance." And it's like, "Fuck! How many times has he heard that from his mom?" Right? Like, oh, "This is the last time." You know, "I'm I'm better now. Everything's gonna be fine." Well, that's the thing. I think that's what because I had a big question about, like, why did he reinvest? And I think it's because there was a big difference between his mom, who always kind of like tries to deny things and, you know, um, say things are going to be different, but never take ownership about why things were bad in the first place where he says, you know, I made a mistake. I fucked up. I'm sorry. And. I just want you to give me another chance and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I don't want you to forgive me. Just give me another chance. I don't want you to forgive me. Just give me another chance. And then crucially respect him's desire to be left alone and he leaves him alone. And then, yeah. you know, the next day he comes up and has cereal with them without saying a word at the cereal table, like at the cereal table, at the breakfast table, <laughs> maybe even the kitchen table. I don't think they're <laughs> a big enough family to just have a breakfast table. No, but I, that there's so many things like that where it's like, I feel that um, the director here, Tom McCarthy has a pulse on what it's like to be in these situations. Um, and he did like, I, I guess this was co-written by his high school buddy who they did wrestle together with. 
So like he oh. put a lot of like real experiences and then found these other like little things that he could. But I remember why I got in this story because like the there's another funny scene where when all the shit's going down, like Paul Giamatti is like doing this thing where he's about to be in a wrestling match with this kid, dude. And you can tell he's kind of like, why is this happening? I don't want this to happen. And well, Bobby it's kind happening of because he's off. Bobby's off on the side. Like, <laughs> yeah. get your hands up. He's coming at you. Get your hands Coach, up. Yeah. Get low, yeah. man. Keep Watch for up. the hook. Watch for the leg. <laughs> and he's like, no, I don't want to fight this kid. And, and but yeah. it's like Paul Giamatti's so good at like showing, I guess, the adult version of Kyle. Like I've, I'm somehow trapped in this situation and it's ridiculous, but I can't get out of it. So I, this is now happening. Yeah, um, I mean, that's my favorite that part of the so movie. Funny. Watching Paul Giamatti get wrestled to the ground by a, a teenager <laughs> is yeah. one of the funniest things I've seen all year. Did you think low key that it might actually be something of a match? Because the whole time they've been like talking about how Paul Giamatti was right. something else back in the day. And you think we could take him now? Like, you know, because we're but and he's an, you know, like uh, Bobby kind of volley over dinner is like, oh, you should have seen him back in the day. He's like an angry little ferret on the mat. <laughs> Nobody could take. And I'm like, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Like maybe he could pin him somehow. And that would be he's some kind of weight advantage way to for sure. He definitely does. He definitely. But like, yeah, the agility and speed, <laughs> not at all. No, so, yeah, I, I actually up. thought like, is there going to be some kind of interesting kind of like mono aboyo thing going down here? And no, no, that, that the movie's not that that goofy. Yeah. And um, I don't think you want to see that, right? You don't want to see Paul Giamatti wrestle a, a teenager to the ground and, and mash his face in the grass. Like, yeah, that's not yeah. a thing. But man, they like I said, this movie builds attention so well because you just keep on waiting for the shoe to drop. And every time the movie shows up with the shoe ready to drop, like Paul's able to wriggle out of it. Like the first time the daughter comes in with the lawyer and he's able to use information, the fact that uh, the father wrote him her out of the will. Not because that in itself is devastating, because he the other thing is he. He can't let on that he has got a lie before the judge. Yeah. And then if he ever goes back in court to explain the situation, he's going to lose by default because of that fact. So he can't. He has to play tough. He has to open up his kimono and threaten to make him take the train. But he can't back that up. And the way he does that by like, well, this isn't devastating to the case, mm-hmm. but um, I know this daughter well enough that I know she's going to show her ass and say a bunch of shit in front of her lawyer, which is going to make them back off. And it's like, yeah, but every time that happens and the shoe doesn't drop, the tension ratchets just a little bit higher because they always fall that scene with like, you know, Kyle saying like, you know, I just talked to my grandpa and he blah, blah, blah. And it's like, the judge really said that. And he's every time he commits to the lie, the, 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 the thing tightens up a little bit more. And that's the other thing. It's like the other lesson is like, man, just don't lie to your friends and family. Sure. Like, Jesus, no matter what the problem is, if it's something you can't tell your wife or your best friends, then fuck, I don't know what you're doing. It, 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 it's <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in too deep you're your, for sure. Yeah, you're putting yourself into a Paul Giamatti spot where you're going to you're going to be embarrassed uh, in the third act. But, yeah, just um, just think of think about the things you're doing and would you feel comfortable telling them uh, to the people mm-hmm. you love that you did those things? And if not, maybe don't do those things. There's yeah, that option. Yeah. Uh, because you can, you know, whatever imperfect solution you come from, from that. But I, I get it, man. I, 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 I don't know what it's like to be like at my end of my rope, literally at the end, no yeah, money, yeah. no friends and family to turn on, you know, big, big penalties, jail, maybe homelessness staring me in the face. Um, and that's, 
that's where this that's the area this movie kind of explores like what would you do and you know Paul, yeah. like that's that's the thing is like what is why does Paul Giamatti do this to the old man? Because he doesn't want to bartend at the end of the movie. That's the thing. It's like, there's this karmic debt that, that feel like this movie traffics into. Um, and I thought they were going to let Paul completely off the hook because it's like, well, taking on this kid and all that kind of stress is going to like, that's if his granddad and was in his right mind and could allocate his funds, like $1,500 for his grandson to be taken care of and get a scholarship in college and be in a real solid family. He'd probably make that deal. Right. But that's not the deal yeah. he's made. And that's not the situation. Um, and at the end of the movie, the fact that Paul Giamatti is just doing what he feared he'd have to do, which is like, well, I'm going to have to make ends meet bartending, um, until I can get stabilized or whatever. Um, yeah, I and he does, that, he uh, does atone for his sins. You know, he, uh, he gives up the check, right? Um, the $1,500 check, which is what he, yeah. the whole reason he got into this, cause he wanted that money. Uh, he mm-hmm. gives that up to the kid's mom. Um, and keeps Kyle living with him, paying for all his expenses. So he's taken on even more expenses and gotten less money. Uh, he's he's letting Leo live at home, which there's some amount of care that needs to be taken of Leo. So mm-hmm. I'm sure they have to spend a lot of time uh, taking care of Leo. And mm-hmm. now he's bartending uh, as a second job. So he's still got his practice. Now he's working more like he's given up a yeah. lot. Um but he seems happier than he's ever been because he's doing a good thing for yeah. for people, right? Yeah, he's proud of himself. Yeah, you know, uh, for doing the right thing, for helping all these people, um, for making his his corner of the world a little bit better of a place, for no longer having this friction between. Because mm-hmm. the other thing, like the movie starts us up with, like it's a slippery slope because he's been lying to his wife for months about their dire financial straits. So I don't want to tell her we just had the yeah. baby. I don't want to put the stress on her Don't want her, you know, and so then there's this whole theme of um, Amy Ryan throughout the whole film is like, well, you didn't tell me about this. Oh, well, I was going to, but it's not a big deal. It sounds like a big deal. And the deals keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Like I said, that's that's where this, the script is so brilliant in the way it um, kind of ratchets up that tension. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, I want to get back to Paul's comments. He talked about uh, Paul McCarthy's talent as a filmmaker Tom. and what we thought about him. What did I say? He's a Paul. Paul. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, he's got some talent too. that Paul. I've heard. I've mm-hmm. heard said that he, he he's he's uh, he's written a thing or two that's moved some people. Maybe. Uh, but Tom McCarthy, he's got this uh, filmmaking talent. Um, unfortunately, I've only seen the station agent in this film. And like the thing that kind of put him on the map spotlight which won an Oscar for best picture. That's the, <laughs> like, you know, that, that will put you in the, the spotlight for sure. Yeah. I haven't seen, but I can't imagine it's a comedy, even a dark comedy. No. It's about, it's about an investigative, uh, uh, in, it's about investigation, uh, by journalists into child abuse at the hands of the Roman Catholic church. Yeah. Like there's not a lot of ha ha's in the be mind in that dark comedy or no. Yeah. Whereas these others are like, um, you know, Roger Ebert called, wanted to call this a situation comedy, but he realized it's kind of demeaning the film, you know, because uh-huh. it's, yeah, it's a situation. It's funny, but it's not a sitcom, but this and the stage name is both about like a peculiar situation, you know, yeah. a dwarf who loves model trains and is antisocial because of the way the world's treat him. And the world now is forcing him to be social. It's an inherently funny concept. Yeah. Um, but there's also some brutal things in it too. Uh, Bobby Cannavale is very funny in that film, but like I remember the scene where he gets drunk and like has this whole speech at a bar, which was like as searing as anything I've ever seen. Um, 
So that's my experience with them. You've seen Spotlight. I think you've seen another one of them. Uh, oh, yeah. He's, you got? He co-wrote up um, the, right. the Pixar okay. movie. So you've seen that. Right. It, um, that's got a devastating amount of heart. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. There, there's some opera. There, there's some realm with wind with within which Tom McCarthy operates. That's like kind of cheese, like borderline cheesy, wholesome family, but also a dark twist kind of thing. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like they're the life affirming sitcom type movies that somehow suck me in, even though I kind of disdain most of those type of movies. I think it's that like they're very always very peculiar characters, but they're also highly relatable. You know, like the old man and up, you know, uh, the relatable thing about him is that he loved and lost and has never been able to move on from that. Everybody's probably if you've loved and lost, if you've been in a situation, you've been stuck there. Maybe it was just a couple weeks. Maybe it was a few years. Maybe it's the fucking rest of your life. Uh, sure. You're like that the George Jones song. He stopped loving her that day that they buried him, you know, like, fuck. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> but there's that. That's relatable, right? Um, uh-huh. uh, station agent. I don't know what it's like to be a dwarf, but I know what it's like to be a weirdo and for people to like point and laugh at you and make fun of you and sure. to be antisocial and have friends pull you out of that. That's that's pretty relatable. This movie is like, I don't know what it's like to be a lawyer at the end of my rope and like defraud uh, the state and the old man out of fifteen hundred dollars. But. I do know what it's like to like carry secrets from people that you carry that the, the self-destructively that care about you. Um, you keep things from them and you get yourself uh, a little buried in, in trying to keep the truth straight between what's actually happening and what you want people to believe. And so I don't, it feels like there's some kind of universality that he's able to tie into, even though I've never been an 80 year old man with a walker. I've sure. never been a dwarf. I've never been a wrestling coach. Yeah. I have tried to lift my house off with balloons. Didn't work. Uh, but yeah, the, he yeah, has a lot of balloons. Writes that stuff. And then he wrote Spotlight, which is a very, very different movie. Um, just showing that he has some range. So that's nice. But that's one of the Ruffalo in it, right? I got to see that. Yeah, movie. John Slattery's in that. Um, yeah. I need to see that movie real bad. It's good. That's real good. Uh, um, yeah. I, I, I enjoy his stuff immensely. I haven't seen The Visitor, which is another one that everybody talks about as being like really good. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I'll get to that soon. That's the other thing is like every one of his mo- movies are very emotional um, and and uh, very emotionally charged, but they also find a way to be charming and funny too. Mm-hmm. Like there's seen there's stuff in up as sad as I've ever seen in a movie. Same as yeah. Station Agent, but also like I'm laughing my 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 balls off at like you know these old like especially i think of that those the old man fight at the end of up and just the sure. relationship he has with the little boy and the dog like that stuff is really really funny mm-hmm. and like bob that's the thing is like bobby kind of volley carries so much of the humor in both the station agent and like i can't imagine him not being in the movie yeah it would be it'd be twice as dour and half as good if it wasn't for him like boying the thing with his over the top presence and his the other thing is like he's down this movie but never out like he's just irrepressibly positive and bubbly and has so much energy even when he's kind of being shit on by life arguably worse than Paul Giamatti so, sure yeah I, I mean his casts in his movies are always excellent um, 
I can't say enough good about Bobby Cannavale discovering him in, you know, Boardwalk Empire and then seeing Station Agent is like, wow, okay, this guy is a really great actor. Uh, and he's he's got that energy to him that I is just magnetic on screen. Uh, I, I never saw, what was that HBO show he did? Vinyl? I never saw that. I heard people didn't like it. But I'm sure that wasn't yeah. his, his fault. No, probably not. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, between him and Peter Dinklage and Paul Giamatti, who is just, I mean, is Paul Giamatti one of the best actors of our generation? Like, like top five. I, I honestly think character he actors, is. character actors like he's he's right up there with like, because I, I don't know. That's the, the older I get, the more I don't understand the difference between leading man and character actor. Yeah. Right. Does it just mean like very, very good looking versus average to, to it might be mediocre looking? It it might be that, but like I and I've seen like uh like Gary Ullman in Dracula is the leading man and he's very sexy. Yeah. So like that's the thing. It's like, well, if you're a good enough character actor, like if if Harry Kissinger can can be an infamous ladies man on this planet looking like the toad that he is, uh Henry Kissinger, why 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 can't like Paul Giamatti? Uh, and I and the thing is I have seen Paul Giamatti be a sexy, charming guy. Like uh do you remember his did did you stop watching Downton Abbey before the season that he came in as Cora's American brother? Yeah, I must have, yeah. And he's just like charming and looks huh. good in the tux and is like you know, like like it just fits right into these parts. Like he's kind of like a ladies' man. So it's like yeah. I don't know, but it does feel like it's a slight to be like, well, he's, but, but yeah, yeah, I, I think you're in, and the other thing is you got to divide it up by generations and stuff too, but like sure. in his gener, yeah, of his generation, I, yeah, it, it'd not be easy to name five better actors for, for sure. I mean, he's, he's outstanding. Every time he's on screen, it feels like he's not even acting. Like he just melts away into the role. And I don't know if that's because the casting is so good and he picks the roles that fit him so well, but I, but I've seen him do 10 different things, right? I mean, he plays John Adams or whatever. Uh, he, he is in like billions where he plays his high powered. Uh, There's another one where he's yeah. Like, yeah, I, not yeah, every, playing a schlub, right? Every time I see him, he's doing different versions of himself and they always feel just completely what it needs to be. He never feels like he's, he's acting or stretching. Do you think he's the drama like uh, Keanu Reeves is the action films? Like we've talked about the fact that Keanu Reeves is such a default setting for dude that yeah. you can just effortlessly like when he's Neo, you're Neo. When he's diffusing a bomb on the bus, you're diffusing the bomb on the bus. Like yeah. Paul Giamatti, because I, I noticed the same thing. Like halfway through this movie, I forgot that I was watching Paul Giamatti and I'm just watching this wrestling coach guy like screaming on the mat trying to get this kid not to be pinned. Desperately yeah. to hang on this one point lead, whatever and it fucking takes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's not like it. it's not like Nick Cage, where Nick, like what is Paul G- like? Right, they're superficially the same because like when Paul Giamatti gets like spun up and starts screaming and yelling and like I ain't gonna drink anymore, fucking Merlot, and you know just yeah. just ran like there is that kind of gear that he has, but I feel like he doesn't show that very often, like because most roles don't really require. He doesn't try to force it in there. So I don't know. He's just really good at like being such an everyman that like in all the roles you see, you just see like the guy, the character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely and don't it, feel that way about Nick Cage. I see Nick Cage in every role he's in at this point, but and that might be the difference in character acting and a leading man. Leading men are just shittier actors. They just, they just more of just like, 
Like like Harrison Ford, you don't want Harrison Ford not to be Harrison Ford. You bring Harrison Ford right. in to be Harrison Ford, and the character fits him or it doesn't, right? Or yeah. Paul Giamatti fits the character. Uh huh. I don't know. I don't know how profound or interesting that is. Um, I don't know, but he's amazing. Dave has another question. He goes, I love the scene where Mike asked Kyle, what is it like to be so good at something? It made me reflect on the fact that most people will never experience that reality of being really, really good at something. For those who do experience it, it's often a fleeting experience. This might get too personal, but I think it'd be interesting to hear you two talk about your reflections on your experience of being so good at something because he opines that bald move is no amateur effort. You guys have become very, very good at what you do, and it'd be cool to hear some straight talk of what it's like for you and how it bleeds over into other areas of your life. Again, it might be too personal, but I think it'd be interesting. I, th- I think the thing that's lacking in Bald Move is the feeling of control. Because I don't feel like I'm ever in control of what's going yeah. on with Bald Move at any moment. Even, even within yeah. a single podcast, it feels like, man, I'm, I'm barely holding on to this thing. It's spinning off the rails. Who knows where it's going to go? It, yeah. I, I have had things in my life that are that I feel in control of and that make me feel proud and powerful and stuff like I used to be extremely good at like Counter-Strike, for instance. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know anybody who was better than me. Uh, and, you know, winning, sitting down and winning a tournament. And I was good at like computer games in general or FPS games in general. Sitting down and winning a tournament in a game I've never played against, you know, 20 other people who played it for years. I was just like, holy shit, I'm, I'm really good at this. Uh, mm-hmm. that is a feeling that is like no other when, when yeah. you realize, damn, the, the effort I've put into this has made me extremely competent at this thing. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I, uh, yeah, bold move does not make me feel like I'm, I'm, I'm con- like, that's the things like, uh, I'm quite often racked with self doubt. Like, uh, like before I started a podcast, like Jesus Christ, am I? I don't know that I have anything interesting to say about this. Yeah. I don't know that I've if I recorded podcasts, like I'm thinking, like God damn, I wish I could have said that better. I wish I, oh, I didn't. I wish I didn't shoehorn this thing in. I wish I did. And like, I, it's somewhat always been a mystery of what because I never expected this to do this. It's not like I started getting up at five o'clock in the morning, cracked a dozen eggs into a glass, drank it took two microphones doing curls like I didn't like you know it's it'd be one thing if I did uh, like you I do have some things that I have you know I do have a point or two of personal pride that I am um, I feel like I am good at and I'm competent at and that's kind of like the building blocks of self-respect and all that kind of stuff but like yeah this job ain't one of it, it ain't one of them I enjoy it and it's a lot of fun and when people are having fun and and I, I'm we're getting good feedback it feels like hey this is not a bad job but I never feel like Fuck yeah! Time to go into time to get behind a microphone, go to church. Yeah. yeah, I mean we've had success at it, and I think that is mm-hmm. like, you know, that gives me a certain sense of pride. But I don't feel like I've got a mastery of this thing at all. Yeah, yeah. Also, yeah, and just you know, just enough haters to keep you humble too. Everyone, sure, there, there are people there to let you know you're a piece of shit if you ever think that you're you're not. So. It's mostly me. So that's that's my role. <laughs> that's in true. My own I'm head. the big yeah, yeah. I'm I'm the I tend to be the biggest hater. Yeah. Uh, but um, I really appreciate this commission. I would not have seen it's, a, it's not a stretch to say I would have never seen this movie um, had it not been commissioned. And I'm glad I did. It was really mm-hmm. it, it did make me feel good. It did make me feel because that's the other thing is that like. 
Paul Giamatti makes a big mistake, but it's not a mistake that has to define him. It's not a mistake that he can't overcome. And it's not a mistake that the people in his life that love him can't see past. And that's a good lesson for everybody. I think, you know, that's yeah. the antidote for the hate the, the self hate. We just were talking about is like, you know, with rare exception, no matter how big of a boner you pull, someone else has been there and done it and done it worse. And were able to move forward in some way. And I, yeah, sure. like, you know, for 99% of the population, that's going to be true. You know, some people that you probably need to go to jail uh-huh. for what you did. Uh, you need to pay a huge fine to, to pay back to society. But most of us are not like that. Most of us have these petty grievances and minor slights. And uh, you just need to ask for forgiveness and a second chance. Not even forgiveness, just a second chance. And, and make and good make at good it. Because that's the other yeah. thing. That's other, that's what difference between people that like, you know, own up to their mistakes and move on and people who just are continually can't get it together is that commitment to to change. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, it's really entertaining way. It's not very it's, it's a sub two hour runtime. It's not it's 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 not too long. It's paced very well. I, the, I did not notice this movie having music at all. That's not a, that's a lot bon, because bon there's Jovi. one point. Yeah, where Amy Ryan establishes he's a bon, John Bon Jovi fan, and they they dutifully play a couple of couple of uh, Bon John John Bon Jovi. Bon, yeah, but Bon Bon Jovi. Yeah, yeah, it's from Have a Nice Day that that song. If you're familiar, yeah. Um, but other than that, that's uh, uh, but you know we got a five million dollar budget. What are you going to do? Splash out? I'm actually surprised they got JBJ. Um. But yeah, thanks, Dave from California. Really appreciate the commission. Uh, if you would like to commission a podcast, which involves telling me and Jim to watch a movie or a couple hours of television uh, and compel us to tell you what we thought about it, it's really easy. You go to support.baldmove.com. There's a link there for commission podcast. You, uh, you, you, you pay the upfront fee. You tell us the movie and then we take it from there. We'll get uh, your feedback. We'll get your credits, uh, any dedications you want, and we'll make you a custom podcast. That hopefully you enjoy a lot. Uh, that's that's the, the proposition. Go to support.baldmove.com if you want to know more. Uh, otherwise, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next Bald Move Prestige or Pulp. See ya.